Hello, I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And welcome to this, our latest podcast and vlogcast, where we talk about some of the interesting news that's been happening of late, which we thought is worthy of comment. And without further ado, let's go to our first item, which was quite a major report and interestingly badly reported by all the world's media. Because the world's media came out with a story that SSRIs, the the most common form of antidepressant drug, actually help with anxiety, missing the entire story, which was the SSRIs don't work and they don't help treat depression. There's a major study that's being carried out um, and where they looked at the world's most um, commonly prescribed antidepressant called sertraline, which is marketed as Zoloft, and they found that... um, People with uh, depression only reported a 5% improvement um, after taking the drug for six weeks compared to a similar group who were given instead a placebo. Well, 5%, as the researchers say, is so negligible that it's hardly worth recording. And uh, the researchers from University College London said they were shocked and surprised by the findings. I think quite an interesting point about this study is it's one of the very first that's been carried out without the um, funding of a drug manufacturer. So it was a truly independent study into SSRIs and found that they actually don't work, which is not really a great surprise because the whole theory behind why they should work, which is that we um, have uh, sort of serotonin being a chemical in the brain that uh, lack thereof causes depression, has never been established by anybody. And in fact, the Psychiatric uh, Association of America has even walked away from that theory and said that um, serotonin has absolutely nothing at all to do with depression. Nonetheless, People are prescribing them as if it's going out of fashion. And the sales by 2023 are estimated to reach nearly $16 billion a year. So a popular drug that doesn't work, Lynn. Add to, you know, (laughs) join the club. Mm. But, I mean, SSRIs for such a long time have had so much information negative information that has been completely ignored by the medical community. Mm. We go back to the beginnings of Prozac when there were so many reports of people either killing themselves or killing others. others. Mm. And one of the most amazing stories, I mean, a lot of them were very, very violent reactions. One woman actually took bites out of her mother. Mm. You know, is that kind of crazy violence obviously doing something drastic to the brain? And as you say, Brian, I mean, the big problem with SSRIs, you know, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, that's what SSRI means, Mm -hmm. um, is supposed to uh, slow the reuptake, the, 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 removal by the body of serotonin. And therefore, uh, the assumption was that depression is caused by a lack of serotonin. Mm -hmm. Um, That has never been proved. And nor has it ever been proved, as you say, that the drugs really work. Mm -hmm. But there's been such a flood and such a positive um, uh, PR campaign surrounding Mm -hmm. these drugs that... um, The regular medical community has ignored so many of 
the you know, mm. studies about it, so many of the case reports about it, mm. and even black box warnings mm. saying, don't give this to young people. Right. You know, it right. increases suicide. Right. So I'm glad to see that the first independent study, Brian, mm. finally says, this stuff is rubbish. Mm. And of course, you know, the cells have been buoyed over the years by positive drug trials that have been paid for by the manufacturer. And as I say, one of the first out of the box that's independent found as we've said for many, many years now, that SSRI antidepressants don't help with depression. Absolutely. And there are so many other things that do. <clears throat> I mean, we have a story in a, a magazine, you know, one of the issues just a few months ago, um, basically by a psychiatrist saying there's no such thing as mental illness and mm. that most things like depression respond really well to fixing biochemical imbalances in the body. Mm. And big ones that help depression are mm. B6, mm. you know, vitamin B6, magnesium, and zinc. Mm. And then these sort of positive effects that have been reported have usually been actually a placebo effect. And the um, positive benefits have lasted for about four weeks. But in this particular study, there were no benefits at any point, and uh, people's depression wasn't helped even in those first few weeks at all. So, uh, yeah, there we are. I mean, back to the drawing board for the drugs industry, although probably not, actually, because we're still, still projected to hit 16 billion in a couple of years' time. I guess, you know, doctors will carry on prescribing it. And as you say, the mainstream media, they want to talk about amazing conventional drug breakthroughs. Mm. And so they've given this negative drug story a positive spin. Mm. And that's probably one other instance mm. of the fact that you're not going to get the real story from the newspapers. Mm. Thanks, Lynn. Around about eight years ago or so, um, Australian government commissioned its Health and Medical Research Council to do a review of homeopathy. And um, it, this was went on for several years, and the report was ready by about 2012, but then was suddenly suppressed. It was never, ever published. And the researchers who were working on it were dismissed, and a new research team was replaced, replaced them. And then finally, the report, or a new report rather, saw the light of day in 2015. And no great surprise, it utterly dismissed homeopathy. So there was not a single shred of evidence that it is effective for anything. But someone had told a story that the original report actually had found homeopathy did work. And the uh, in, this is in Australia. So the Australia's Homeopathy Research Institute started a campaign to get the original report published. Well, last week they succeeded. And the NHMRC were dragged into uh, releasing this report, which, lo and behold, discovered that indeed homeopathy can work for a range of conditions, including fibromyalgia and otitis media, and also help with the after effects of cancer treatments. And they said there was fairly good evidence to support that, that it was, um, well, they said it was encouraging evidence 
that homeopathy was effective for those conditions, as well as a thing called post-operative ileus, which is a blocked intestine, and even the common cold it can help with. Well, this is very interesting, isn't it? Because um, the um, NH NHMRC sat on this for about five six years and refused to re, re and they they um, also uh, refused to release it despite freedom of information requests and even the Australian Senate uh, commissioned them to release the report which they failed to do so finally the report is out and yes there's pretty good evidence it was 55 studies were examined and uh, I said the original researchers who were sacked for their for their uh, for their hard work, um, found that it was this encouraging evidence there all along. So homeopathy actually does seem to work, Lynn. Well, this is not a big surprise to me, mm. but it's just more evidence of the conventional bodies trying to do whatever they can to stifle and kill off homeopathy. Um, this isn't the only government report that has demonstrated um, efficacy. I mean, uh, some years ago, the Swiss mm. government uh, wanted to evaluate homeopathy <clears throat> to see whether or not they should include it with their national health service. And so they did an exhaustive report and again found that homeopathy works for certain conditions. Now, it may work for more than this, but this is all that's been tested for with credible studies, mm. credible, well-designed studies. Um, however, in many, many other countries, and Australia was one of them, um, Britain is now, there are skeptics trying to um, force uh, the government to remove homeopathy from the National Health Service and to close down a homeopathic hospital, etc. Even though our royal family swears by homeopathy, as do millions of people. But it's really forces at work, not necessarily lack of evidence. And the big problem everybody has with homeopathy, of course, Brian, is they can't figure out how the darn thing works. Right. Now, that is true if you take a very materialistic view of science, um, the Newtonian view that things are separate, well-contained um, objects and that they don't influence each other in subtle ways. But if you look at some of the evidence of the late Jacques Benvenista, he demonstrated that water has essentially a memory. And this has been um, verified by a number of scientists in Italy and also by the co-discoverer of the HIV virus, Luc Montagnier, who has been investigating properties of water and found essentially water is like a tape recorder. So if you put a substance in and you remove it and dilute it as you do with homeopathy, um, what they do is they'll put a substance in um, uh, some original substance like, say, arnica, and they will then dilute it and dilute it and dilute it until there's no actual molecule left uh, of that substance. Um, nevertheless, it has essentially its energetic footprint. And these scientists, credible physicists and biologists, have found, yes, this is true. Mm. Molecules of water uh, coalesce around 
this kind of these kinds of other molecules and essentially tape record it. They um, create what they call coherent domains around it. So there is a lot of science to support it. You just have to not look at the gross world of matter that we've described by 17th century physics, mm. described by Newton, but look at the more modern science of the quantum world, and it all makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah. And this is worth mentioning. I mean, we look at now a little restricted world here, but in India, it is the still the one of the major uh, medicines. And uh, I think it happened after about 1850 when it... Um, treated a, a massive uh, cholera outbreak and uh, so yes i mean obviously a lot in it and um well done the australian homeopath homeopathic groups for getting the report released so yeah. now there was a big movie about this wasn't there, there? well yes there was just a drop i think mm -hmm. and um yeah we, it did refer to that but of course at that time, they did know what was going to happen with this report, but they do refer to the fact that um, there was this evidence out there that had been suppressed, and there was a. It was quite conspiratorial. I mean, what, what, some of the theories going around, but certainly the researcher was was taken off the case, and a whole new team were put in in place, and you know, completely reversed pretty much the original findings. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Thanks, Lynn. HRT, hormone replacement therapy, prescriptions have been on the rise in the last 10 years or so. There have been lots of positive studies coming out saying how effective they are and how they help women overcome the worst uh, effects of the menopause. And, um, you know, it seems like a, everyone suffers short-term memory loss because go back to the 1990s, early 1990s, with wealth, the Women's Health Initiative was discovering that HRT was increasing the rate of breast cancer and I think a few other cancers beside and I think heart disease. I think it was a series of reports came out uh, that long ago and it pretty much stopped HRT in its tracks for several years until, as I say, these positive reports started to come out and people started to forget and all the rest of it. Well, there's been another independent study into it, quite an exhaustive one, carried out by Oxford University, which has found that um, HRT is twice as risky as, do as doctors have been told, and certainly as according to a number of so-called authoritative medical sites, which have all been given HRT, the clean bill of health, is twice as risky as they thought, and um, they now reckon that HRT is directly responsible for one in every 20 breast cancer cases. And um, the greatest risk is for those who are taking the most common form of it, which is the estrogen plus progestogen. If it's taken for five years or more, uh, it's going to increase the risk for breast cancer quite dramatically. Um, in fact, they reckon that, um, and that risk carries on rising the longer you take it. Um, and simply, the risk is slightly less with the estrogen-only form they say, but nonetheless, it's cause for considerable concern. And um, the researchers say it really is time that women were told, look, there's a real risk with this stuff. 
and that you should be aware of it um, before you decide to take it. And, you know, and furthermore, I, I would say that you know, under informed consent, which, yes, folks, is actually a legal requirement of your doctor, is that um, in getting informed consent before you start taking a drug like HRT, you should also be told all the other things that you could do as well and then determine which course of action you want to take. So, and, you know, maybe it's time this was brought back because, as I say, HRT twice as risky as they thought. This is outrageous, Brian, because, as you say, the largest trial ever conducted about HRT in the 90s, the Women's Health Initiative study of hundreds of thousands of women, demonstrated without a doubt it increased the risk of breast cancer and other illnesses as well. Heart disease, I believe, was one of them when the whole spin on this drug had been that it was actually protective mm. of heart disease. So they stopped. It was so dangerous, was it, that they stopped the trial? And the interesting thing was this material, which was there with all of these, you know, records, was great uh, a great source of research for other uh, scientists who are looking at other aspects of it. For instance, one study I know of that was really interesting was looking at whether or not uh, you were more predisposed to breast cancer because of a familial history mm -hmm. of breast cancer. And they thought they would find that when they combed among these hundreds of thousands of people, and they didn't. What mm. they found was the only indicator of increased risk was whether or not you took HRT. Mm. So this is a scandal mm. that the drug companies have put a positive spin on something that we knew 20 plus years ago mm. was causing breast cancer. Mm. Um, and we have better alternatives. But also, this also beggars the idea that we absolutely need this kind of independent study of the pill. Mm. Because the pill is HRT in another form, essentially. Mm. It's, you know, estrogen plus progestogens, basically. Mm. And that needs to be studied too because we're giving that to young women and wondering why breast cancer among young women is mm. skyrocketing. Mm. Well, I think it was a damage limitation job by using the facade of science to reassure people that HRT was safe. And again, you know, for like an earlier story we talked about with antidepressants, that again, the, the positive studies have invariably been paid for by the manufacturer who stands to benefit from it. And again, it underlines the importance, I think, of independent medical studies, because unless mm -hmm. we have those, we're not really going to get to the truth. Instead, we're just going to have spin that benefits the drug manufacturer and, and you know, boosts his profits, but it doesn't help the people who are taking the drug. No, and the outrage, the biggest outrage of all is that we're talking about generally healthy people, mm. healthy women who are going through a natural process mm -hmm. and having some side effects and having some effects as that change goes on that can readily be treated mm. by homeopathy, by herbs, by herbs, um, and by other natural substances, mm -hmm. um, vitamins and other supplements, so you don't have to resort to a drug. Uh, 5G, the great new mobile 
cell phone network is starting to roll out, and already there are people who are objecting to it, uh, including, I understand there have been protests around the planet, and the most recent that I'm aware of was in Bern in Switzerland uh, quite recently. People are very concerned because of the cancer risk, because no one's tested for it. And um, what's going to happen if you do get cancer from the 5G network? Well, don't go to Lloyd's of London, the world's largest, largest insurer, because they are refusing to uh, allow any health any claims uh, on it. They're not going to pay out anyone who's got 5G cancer. Tough. They're not going to pay out. And they're and you. People could argue, well, obviously they won't because there's no evidence that it causes this problem. So why should they pay out? Well, interesting question. But the reason why is because Lloyd's has already carried out its own risk assessment. And it concluded, fascinatingly, in 2010, that wireless networks, Wi-Fi, and this is before 5G, mind you, but nonetheless, wireless networks, cell phones, you name it, are similar to asbestos, which was the great health risk, a building material which causes lung disease and cancer, first recognised in 1920 that it could cause this problem. And the asbestos industry refused to move on this. And um, it was only in the last, what, 20 years that they accepted asbestos cause this problem. Well, Lloyds of London, the risk assessors, have drawn a similar line to asbestos with, with 5G and cell phones. In other words, what are they saying? They're saying that the mobile phone industry is just like the asbestos industry, that in fact this risk is there, that they are not recognising this risk. So Lloyds are saying, we don't want anything to do with this. Furthermore, they're saying to people who use their policies, Complain to the schools, go to the schools, go to the churches, because it's the schools and the churches where they're putting up the masks and making a lot of money from it. But don't come to us at Lloyd's because we ain't going to pay out, not because we don't believe it's a valid health claim, but we don't want anything to do with it with an industry that's walking away from this. This is very scary, Brian, mm. because this is the problem with Wi-Fi. There are only a few canaries in the mine who are screaming about this. Mm. There are lots of people protesting, but the people who are looking at this scientifically like uh, George Carlos in mm. America are few and far between. Mm. Um, in governments, um, enthusiasm for the amount of money they get from mm. the wireless and the cell phone industry, mm -hmm. um, they're jumping onto it because they get, you know, it's very lucrative for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. um, but as we know personally, when they tried to put a cell phone tower essentially across the street from our daughter's bedroom, um, we got our neighborhood together and mm. we successfully protested. But we couldn't argue on health grounds. That mm. was the problem. We mm. had to argue. We had to study the, the law and argue on essentially on aesthetic grounds that this was going to block our sidewalks. Mm. This was going to be unsightly in our neighborhood and that kind of thing. And we prevailed and we prevailed twice. Mm. But we couldn't argue on health grounds because no one is doing this. No. People are not asking, and they're not just asking what happens to people and children, 
um, adults and children, they're not asking what happens to animals. Mm. You know, there are some quarters who believe that the um, diminishment of the bee population hasn't just to do with pesticides, possibly also Wi-Fi, similarly with birds. So we need to ask these questions. It, mm. Just as we need to look at climate change, mm. this is another big, big question. Mm. While the internet has transformed our lives, we can't do it at cost to our health. No. And it's interesting. I mean, there are a number of scientists who are concerned about this, and they're calling on governments to take the cautionary approach, as it's called, whereby you prove something is safe before you roll it out, rather than roll it out and then discover it's dangerous, mm. which seems to be rather more sensible. But anyway, Lloyd's of London is taking the lead on this, and it's just like the asbestos industry. Okay, well, we're all different, aren't we? Although we're all given the same drugs, but each of us is actually different, and we all have different uh, manifestations of problems. But also, we're all different as we get older. And uh, the uh, gerontology, the study of old age, tells us that, in fact, as we do age, our biology changes and our needs change. And for example, we need loads more fats when we get older because fats help feed the brain. With lots of fats, we ward off things like dementia and Alzheimer's. But uh, not that doctors would believe that because they still believe LDL cholesterol, one of the essential fats in our body, should be removed because it causes heart disease. But as we get older, we actually need it. And just to demonstrate that, a new study has come out demonstrating that the more eggs and meat we eat, the less chance we have of developing dementia when we get into old age. And the longer we eat these things, the better off we're going to be. So starting off at the age of 42 and eating this for 22 years, according to this study, you're much, much less likely to develop dementia. In fact, they say the results are, quotes significant. So fats are good for you, and they are even better for you when you get older. So what do you reckon then? Well, you know, everything that they've been telling people about cholesterol has probably contributed to the huge rise in dementia um, that we've seen in, in the last decades. Um, the effect of cholesterol lowering drugs, who are which are always given to the over 55 mm. almost automatically, must be devastating to the brain mm. because it is blocking, mm. you know, the very stuff the brain needs mm. as its fuel. So this goes along with so much of the material that we're seeing about paleo-style mm. diets, which is diets that it doesn't need to have loads and loads of meat. It doesn't have to be an Atkins type diet of the 70s mm. where you've got a giant steak mm. on your on your plate and that's it. Um, it needs to have a modicum of meat or fish or something like that, but meat in particular, which has mm. you know some really essential nutrients um, and the good fats, which mm. are coconut oil, if you're particularly if you're a vegan, mm. um, or goose fat, uh, beef fat, lard, all of those kinds of fat, old mm. style fats mm. are really good for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it demonstrates that, you know, it, 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 it things change. I mean, there, it's interesting that just as doctors have never studied nutrition, they've also never studied medicine for old people. 
And gerontology is a really important branch of medicine which is never studied. And yet our needs change as we get older. And speaking as a very old person myself, Lynn, I think we've reached the end of this week's <laughs> podcast and vlogcast. And um, thank you very much for your illuminating, as ever, comments, <laughs> which has made this tatty tapestry into a, a fine curtain of silk wonderment. <laughs> so thank you, Lynn. And uh, I will bid you all farewell until next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>